Corinthians 3, 1 through 17. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ too is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetedness, which is adultery, idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its your practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here is, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, Barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all, and in all. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called to one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Give thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so last week, last week what we said was uh, that God's grace has come to us, and because of that, uh, we don't have to submit any longer to all of these rules, right? All these rules in the Bible, all these rules, all the Old Testament rules. We don't have to submit to uh, my cultural opinions or my cultural thoughts on rules, right? So we, we talked about that, and that's one extreme. But the other extreme is to say, well, because of grace, I can do whatever I want to do. Right, Romans 6.1, it says, because, because we have been forgiven, because of grace, can we continue in sin? Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means We've died, how can we still live in it? So are the, really the answer for us is this knife edge, right? That we're not, we don't go into legalism, but we also don't go into licentiousness or thinking, oh, we can just do whatever we want, where God's going to forgive us anyway. So where is that middle ground is really where we're looking at this morning. When I was in school, there was a particular, this it probably happened actually a few times, but I remember um, uh, not always quite fitting in perfectly. And always kind of wanting to increase my fit-in status. And thinking, uh, I remember going to get in a new haircut, right, and, and getting new clothes and thinking, oh, today will be the day, right? I, I look good today. 
I had my, had, it was in that kind of season where like you did the flip in the front of the hair, right, kind of like Bruce is rocking today. And he did the flip in front of the hair, and, and, and I had some new clothes on, whatever. I thought they looked cool. And so going to school thinking, oh, this is going to be it. This is going to elevate my status, and no one noticed. And it didn't elevate my status, and nothing really happened. But if you remember school, you can remember how much pressure there was and how hard it was and thinking every little thing mattered, and, and your clothes mattered so much. And looking back, we realized that it didn't. Last week we said that it didn't matter what you wore to church. Jesus didn't care. And that's true. But in another sense, what you wear is vitally important. What you put on matters. You see, when we look at someone's clothes, it tells you a lot about a person. Remember in school, you could, you could go and obviously see where all the rednecks were hanging out. right? They had all the camo on, had all their Carhartt jackets on. You'd walk by and go, what's up, Tyler? And he'd be there. You go by and you'd see where the jocks are with their jerseys on. You'd go by and see where the where all the the nerds were with their high waters and and whatever. You'd see where the goths were and they're dressed all black. And uh, you could tell who people were by what they wore, because their clothes exposed them. And the question we've got to ask this morning is, who are you? What is your identity? And who do your clothes say you are? This text shows us that what you put on reveals who you are, that your spiritual clothes matter because they show us and they show the world our true identity. Superman somehow could conceal his identity with glasses. But what we put on does not conceal our identity, but rather it exposes it. By now I hope you know that I'm not talking about your fashion choices. Jesus is not concerned with the clothes that you wear, but he is concerned with what you put on. He is concerned with the life and the character and the virtue you put on. Jesus wants your life to reflect who you are, who he's made you to be. The text makes it clear this morning that there is only two options. That your identity is one of two things. You are either seeking the things that are above or you are seeking the things of earth. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, you are becoming one of two things. You are either becoming something so terrifying, so scary, that if you could time travel and see your future self, you would run in fear. Or you're becoming something so beautiful and so glorious that if you were to see that future self, you would be tempted to bow down and worship. We are all becoming one of these two things. So the question this morning is, who are you? And do your clothes, that is, does your life reflect who you are? Does your life match your identity? Do your clothes match your identity? Does what you put on match your identity? Verse 1 says that if then you have been raised with Christ. But notice the very first word. This very first word is important. It may not seem important, but it is important. Paul does not assume that everyone who reads this letter is a Christian. And so he says, if. If you have been raised with Christ. You see, just because someone read this letter, just because someone read the Bible, just because someone had attended the service in which this was read, does not make them a follower of Jesus. Does not make them converted. Does not mean they have new life. So he says, if you've been raised with Christ. Paul is only talking about those who have new life in him. It's not if you go to church. It's not if you believe in a higher power. 
It's not if you're a good person. No, it's if you've been raised from the dead. This is a question of identity. There are those who are in Christ and those who are still in their sin, and those are the only two options. There are some of you in this room right now who you might think that because you're a good person or because you come to church or because you believe in a higher power, that that makes you safe. But that's exactly where the evil one wants you, feeling safe because of things that you have done. But we must be raised with Christ. And so who are you? Have you been raised with Christ? If so, verse 3 is true of you. Verse 3 says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You see, before we can answer the question, do your clothes match your identity, we must first understand what your identity as a Christian is. Because I think more often than not, we underestimate what Jesus has done for us and we miss the gift that he's actually given us. What was it, just a couple weeks ago, there was this giant lottery, right? It was one point some billion, right? What was it? How much? One point what? Now we know everyone who bought a lottery ticket. $1.6 billion. And everyone rushes out, right, to go buy a lottery ticket. My whole family got together. We're putting all pools of money in to go buy tickets so we can split it all. If you were to win that, it would completely change your life. Right, your life, I mean, completely and utterly change your life, your family's life, your friends' lives. If you were to win that much money. So I want you to imagine with me for a moment, uh, the homeless man down the road who maybe you've seen, maybe you had his in tattered clothes, right, holes in his jeans, uh, uh, living outside. Imagine for a moment he scraped up to find $2 somewhere and went and bought himself one of these lottery tickets, hoping that his life would be changed. And imagine for a moment that he won. Imagine he hit that jackpot and went and got his check for $1.6 billion. Imagine how that would change his life. And then imagine six months later you saw him on the same curb, wearing the same old clothes, you would say, what are you doing? You've won $1.6 billion. You're a billionaire. Why are you still living on the street? Why are you still wearing these old clothes? What are you doing? You've been given a gift. Your whole life should be changed. Why are you still living like you're homeless when you're a billionaire? But isn't that exactly what we do? But isn't that us? We have been given the most precious gift. We have been given something infinitely more than a billion dollars, and yet so often we are still living like we were living before we received the gift. The only difference now is that maybe we go to church. Verse 1 and 3 says that you've died and you have been hidden and you've been raised with Christ. You see, you are not just a little alive. This morning, if you're in Christ, you're not a zombie half alive, half dead, while everyone else is dead in in their sin. You've been raised from the dead. You've been given true, abundant life. You are not not drowning in some lake somewhere, and God threw you a life vest and said, grab on. Rather, you had drowned. You're at the bottom of the lake. You are dead, and he scoops you up, brings you up, and he raises you from the dead. He's resurrected you. He's breathed new life into you. You didn't just make a decision for Jesus sometime, and that's great. He made, gave you life. He's given you abundant life. Everyone in our world today is asking the question, what is the key to life? What's the meaning of life? What's the key to life? How can we get the most out of life? How can we have our best life now? And they can't because they're dead. 
there is no answer for them apart from the life that Jesus offers. $1.6 billion does not grant life. It just makes rich dead people. But we in Christ have been given life. We've been born again. You have new life. The maker and inventor of all good gifts has given you the most precious one. That in Christ there are unsearchable riches. Winning a billion dollars is rubbish compared to the life Jesus offers. But what breaks my heart is that if given the option, I think there would probably be some of us in this room, if maybe no one would know about it, that we would choose the money over Jesus. Because instantly, instant gratification, we can see how this blesses us, but we miss the gift that Jesus gives us. But when you have this life in Christ, not only is it the sweetest treasure that you could ever have, but it's secure. See, he's not just giving you a second chance. God is not a God of second chances. The life you've been given is secure. The text says that you are hidden in Christ. You see, if God gave you a second chance, do you know what you would do with it? You would screw it up. You would screw it up. I would screw it up. He is not a God of second chances. He is a God who lavishes grace upon grace. And your life is hidden in Christ. That means no matter what you do, no matter how far you stray, no matter how much you screw up, you're safe and you are secure in his arms. You can't mess it up. He's given you a gift you can't break. One of the games that I love playing with my daughters is Monster. And most of the time they love it. Sometimes they don't. Because I'll come up behind them and just and growl my teeth and just, right? And I'll come up behind them and Scarlett, my youngest, she will, or my middle, she will turn around. And it's like a picture from a movie. Just, and just terror. And Kate's always like, why do you do that to them? Because it's hilarious. And do you know what happens when she does that? She runs to mom. She runs and jumps on mom and tries to get, wedge herself between the couch and between mom because she knows if, she, if mom has her, she's safe. And when you are held by the nail-pierced hands of Jesus, you are safe. The gift you have been given, you can't even screw up. He's got you no matter what the world throws at you. No matter what happens in your life, he has you. You've been given abundant life in Christ, and this is uh, the most special, precious gift you could ever be given. So why is it then that many of us continue to wear the clothes of earth when we have been given the royal robes of heaven? Why is it that our clothes, that is our life, doesn't match our identity? Why is it our lives don't match the life we've been given? You see, we've got to learn to take off these old clothes. Look at verse 5 through 9 for me. He says, put to death, remember that, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these two, in these you two once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. First of all, I want you to understand something. When Israel got the Ten Commandments, do you know what didn't happen? It wasn't God saying, okay, here's the rules. You follow these rules, I'll rescue you. No, they were already rescued. 
Right? They'd been delivered out of Egypt. They had been rescued out of Egypt. And then he says, as you are my people, this is what my people look like. You've been given life, and if you want to continue to go deeper into life, follow these rules. And the same is true for us. We don't take off our old clothes to win God's approval. We take them off because they are not who we are anymore. We know or should know that they only lead to death. We know or should know that walking in the ways of the world only leads to death and that God wants to lead you into abundant life. But sometimes, here's what we think. We think that God has made up all of these rules because he wants to keep us from having fun. He wants to keep us from enjoying the pleasures of life. We believe that sometimes that God is trying to get us to prove ourselves by not enjoying the things of earth and purging ourselves of those pleasures so that we might show him how much we love him. But that couldn't be further from the truth. You see, God's rules are not meant to keep you from fun or from abundant life and joy. His rules are meant to guard you from the allure of those things which claim and promise to satisfy you but leave you wanting more and lead you to death. Many of us in this room have been stuck wearing those old clothes and we can't seem to get them off. You know, it's like that, uh, wives, you know, it's like the t-shirt drawer your husband has. He's got those t-shirts in there that they're 10, 15 years old. They got paint on them. They got holes in them. And he won't get rid of them because they, the new ones don't fit like this one does. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Got an amen. Yes. But many of us in this room feel like in the same way of those old shirts we don't want to get rid of because they fit, they fit good 10 years ago and we still think they fit good. We feel the same is true about sin in our life. Sin that we have put on again and again and again so many times that we're at the point now where we just don't take it off. Like that old shirt we love, we have gotten comfortable in our sin. We make excuses for why it's, it's not time to get rid of that just yet. There's nothing wrong with it. You just don't understand. Deep down, we know it's time to get rid of that old shirt. We know the sin in our lives is bad. We know we should do something about it. We know we should stop. We should repent. We should get help. We should take it off. But we don't. We feel like we can't. We hate this sin in our lives, but yet there's this part of us that though we hate it, deep down a part of us, there's a part of us. If we were honest with ourselves, we hate it, but we also love it. We hate our sin, but there's a part of us that also loves it. And that's why we don't get rid of it, because, because it makes us feel good. We like it. We enjoy it. And though we hate it, we, we love it. And I'm not talking about lost people. I'm talking about followers of Jesus, real, genuine Christians. If you're honest with yourself, there is sin in your life you know ought not be there. And you hate it, but yet you can't quite pry it from your heart and from your life. So I want to ask you this morning, I want to ask you to be honest with yourself and about honest with God. Where in your life is that old shirt? Where in your life is the sin that plagues you and haunts you that you want dead but can't seem to kill. Paul gives us a list of examples in the text of these old clothes that we need to take off. Right, he said, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, idolatry, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. 
Isn't it interesting how much and how often the Bible talks about sexual sin? I mean, it's all over the place. Maybe it does because maybe it's the thing that we struggle with the most. There are many of you in this room right now who find yourself again and again in the clutches of sexual sin. You know, the normalization of casual sex in our culture is creeping into the church, making it normal for us. Normal to have premarital sex. Normal to move in with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Normal. These things have become normal. I was at a conference a few months ago, and they shared this statistic with me that blew me away, and I really just hope that they have bad data or they just surveyed some bad area or something. Because if this is true, man, I don't even know how to handle it. I don't even know how to raise children if this is true. But they said 95% of high school students have sex before they graduate college. 95%. Now, this is one of those areas that we're tempted to think that God is holding out on us. That God doesn't want us to enjoy the pleasures that this life offers. That everyone else is sleeping around and having a great time. But we've got to be these old-fashioned fuddy-duddies missing out. Can I just tell you that's not true? God made Adam and Eve naked in the garden and said, I'll catch you later. Y'all have fun. God invented sex for our pleasure and good. He wants us to have it inside a covenant relationship. Because, because since he's the inventor of it, he knows that when we don't do it that way, it brings ruin and harm and destruction in our lives. It's not that God is holding out on you. It's that you want to wallow around in the mud and he wants to take you to the beach. You want to enjoy Walmart Coke and he wants to give you Coca-Cola. You want to enjoy the Walmart Oreos, yuck. He wants to give you the real thing, double stuff. He's not holding out on you. He wants you to have life. Verse 5 says, the word sexual immorality there, if you look at it in the Greek, <clears throat> it's really interesting. The word that is used for that, it's the word porneia. You can imagine what we use from that word, porneia. And let's just be honest about it for a second. That old shirt that some of us can't seem to get rid of, the reason as I talk about this, some of you are squirming in your seat, don't want me to say it, because you know how difficult it is for you. But you just cannot seem to get a hold on how much pornography you look at. I had a buddy tell me one time <clears throat> that pornography was the worst drug imaginable. Because it's addictive, it's free, no one will ever know about it. And you can have it anytime you want. And yet we have to fight that. And there are many of us in this room, many guys in this room and girls as well, that this particular sin has plagued us for a long time. It has its claws deep in us. And we hate it, yet sometimes we love it. But there it is. For some of you, it's not pornography. For sometimes, it's going too far with a boyfriend or girlfriend. Sometimes, it's a past secret affair. Sometimes, it is a struggle with same-sex attraction. And it is so hard because you love Jesus. And you want to follow him and you want to put these things to death. But they have their claws in you and you don't know how to rip free of it. You've become a slave to it. You don't know how to get out of it. 
there you are, <clears throat> glowing in the radiant, beautiful robes of Christ, adopted into the family of God, only to cover them with the tattered clothes of your past. And your clothes don't reflect <clears throat> your identity in Christ. For some of you, <clears throat> it's not sexual sin. It's gossip, it's slander, the text says. And, you know, gossip is one of those social acceptable sins, right, that we just completely ignore. That we talk about people, we smear their reputation, we tear them down, all behind their back, all in an effort to make us look bigger, smarter, kinder, wiser people. We gossip, but we make sure to add things onto it. Like, you know, I just really don't know how to help her. She's going through this hard time. I don't know how to help. Would you pray for her? Bless her heart. All the while, we tear them down to make ourselves feel better. Maybe that's not your sin. Maybe your sin is you're a workaholic, sacrificing your children on the altar of your career. That you're the dad who thinks that his job is only to get a paycheck, and you come home late to sit on your chair and watch the game while your wife does all the work. Maybe your clothes that you need to get rid of is jealousy and envy, always wanting what others have, being driven to spend more money to get more stuff that you will think that you think will make you more happy. Maybe your sin is that you drink a little too much. But you've always said that you're a heavyweight, that you can hold your liquor, but everyone knows that you're a drunk and you're not good at hiding it. And you know you need to stop, but you feel powerless to do so. Maybe you put on the clothes of greed. You work hard for what you have. You didn't get a handout. Why should you help anyone else out? You pinch pennies to save and save to buy yourself stuff. But you know there are people all around that you could bless, but you don't. You see, if you've been raised with Christ, why do you still dress in your old clothes? The clothes that lead to death, the clothes that suck the life out of you and everyone around you. The Bible is clear that sin makes you a slave. Those clothes you put on, that shirt you can't get rid of, is because you're a slave to it. It owns you. We think, though, that we can tame our sin, that we can control it, that we can just have a little bit of it, just a taste of it. Just one bite of the apple. It's not a big deal. I can handle it. I can stop anytime I want. Verse 5 says, put to death what is earthly in you. You see, you can't play games with your sin. You can't coddle it. You can't cuddle it. You can't tame it. Y'all remember that show when animals attack? There was this episode where these guys are in this cage with this lion, treating it like it's some little kitty cat. Rolling around with it, petting it, talking about, oh, yeah, he ain't going to do anything, you know, touching it, whatever, putting their hands in their mouth. And he flipped a switch and he ripped them to pieces. And we treat our sin that way, like we can tame it, like it's some little kitty cat that's harmless, and rather it is a lion seeking to destroy you, and there's only one thing that you can do to it. And it's not tame it, it's not control it, it's not coddle it, it's put it to death, take it behind the barn and put it down. Because if not, it will control you and rip you to pieces. You can't coddle it. The only response is to put it down. You must be unrelenting. You must not give it an inch or it will take a mile. The only way to victory is to kill it completely by whatever means necessary. You see, if our clothes are going to match our identity as those who have been raised with Christ, we must take off our old clothes, but we must also put on new ones. Verse 10 says, you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. You're becoming like Jesus. Here, there is not... Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. 
put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. Put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. We must put on these clothes. We must put on compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. We must bear with one another in love. We must forgive one another. We must let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Can't you see the difference? Can't you see in these different lists how one path would lead you into something to be terrifying and the other path leads you into something glorious and beautiful? I want to give you hope this morning that if you're in Christ, you will become this person. You will become a person who is compassionate and bound together in love and all of these things. Y'all know that I'm a, I'm a growing Bengals fan, but I'm a Panther fan at heart. And sometimes when I don't get to watch the game, I, I, I like to record the game and, you know, not find out the score and go home and watch it later like it's live. Well, I remember one time I did that and my phone, my fantasy football popped up. And the Panthers win. Da, 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 da. It's like, no, dang it. But I still went home because I wanted to watch the game. And come fourth quarter when it looked like there was no hope. And it looked like they weren't going to win. And they blew the game. I wasn't worried. I knew the outcome. I, I wasn't stressed like I normally get. I wasn't worked up. I was relaxed knowing it's all going to work out. The same is true for us in Christ. God is making you into something so beautiful and glorious you could not even imagine. And you will get there. If we could jump in a time machine right now and go see it, you would stand in all of who the person God is making you. And you will get there. We know the end of the story. He is making you that. But this command from Paul, put on the new self, we must take seriously. Even though Jesus is doing this to us, we must join him in the effort. How do we do that? How do we put off these old clothes and put on our new ones? How do we live out our identity? Who we are is reflected by our life. How do we do that? Verse 16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. You see, there's no magical formula. There's no best-kept secret to change your life. If you want to take off these old clothes, it's rather simple. You must dive deeper and deeper and deeper into the normal means of grace God has given you. Guys, this is the most simple answer, but it is profound and it works. Three quick things. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Guys, this book is not just some, <clears throat> some book. But as you read it, God conforms you into the person whose words it is. As you study it, as you dive deeper and deeper into it, he, it's, it's magical. Find the person who studies this every day and notice their life will be vastly different. You got to get into this book. But second... He says, teaching and admonishing one another. Guys, we have a need, a great need for community, for deep, rich biblical, biblical community. We need more than just good friends to sit around with. We need brothers and sisters in arms who we trust will teach us and push us and challenge us. The Christian life was never meant to walk alone. It was never meant to be walked in isolation. We need older men in this church to step up and teach these youth, to teach the younger men. We need older women in this church to step up and to begin to teach younger women. That's the way we grow. The people who've walked this path to teach us how to walk it. 
Sunday school is vastly important. And the reason this is because this is so important. Next year, one of the big things that I'm going to be doing that we're going to be launching is home groups, community groups in our home that meet during the week. Because it is vitally important that you gather around the word, a meal and the word, and study it together, challenge one another, push one another. And the third thing, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs for thankfulness in your hearts to God. There may be no better way of getting God's truth in your heart than singing it. Think about this. There are songs you have memorized that you have never tried to memorize. There are songs that you haven't heard in 20 years that if you heard the first note or the first word, you could sing the whole thing. And you've not even tried to memorize it. You see, songs have this way of getting their truth deep into our hearts. And so, do you want to grow? Do you want to take God so close? There's something to be said about regularly gathering with the people of God, singing those same songs again and again, getting their truth deeper and deeper into your heart. The repetition and the pattern of that is vital. But here's the problem. Do you know what the average statistics are for church attendance? It's less than two times a month. It's like 1.7 times a month. You will never grow or change or take off those old clothes if that is your habit. You must be regularly attending with gathering with the people of God. Because let me tell you something. When you're in community and you know Sally a couple seats down from you or back over there, you know what she's going through because she's in your small group and you know that she just lost a loved one or you know she's struggling with this particular sin or she's got this storm in her life and you look over and you see her singing to the Lord with all that she has. You know what that does to you? It grows faith in your heart. It takes you deeper. Because her faithfulness spurs you on to greater faithfulness. And as you sing, God conforms you into the one you sing to. So we must get the word deeper in our heart. We must have community. We must sing. See, God has given us all the tools we need. We just need to actually use them. Do you have the right clothes on? Does your life match your identity? Sometimes my girls will come out. Kate will foolishly tell them to go and get dressed on their own. And they will come out with like three skirts on, right, a princess dress on, hair looking like crazy. Basically, they're looking like someone who just walked out of the capital of the Hunger Games. You know what I'm saying? Some of y'all know what I'm saying. Some of you don't. They look crazy. And if we're going to Walmart, it's no big deal. They'll just fit in. You know what I'm saying? Right, but if we're going to church, going somewhere nice, all right, you got to look presentable, not like that. And what does her mama do? But she takes them back to their room, takes off the skirts, takes out the hair bows, takes off the princess dresses, and puts her normal clothes on. Guys, today I know there are many of us in this room who are deeply struggling in sin, and you want to put it to death and you can't. You come out with crazy looking clothes on all the time. And you know what the Lord does? He's not angry at you. He might grin a little bit. But he takes you back to the room, not to wear your bottom out, but to take those clothes off and put on new ones again and again and again. So that you can rest in his grace and know that you are safe and secure. And that he's making you into the perfection. But until that day comes, we must be diligent to take off these old clothes and put on new ones. So that we can have abundant life now and so that the world might look at us and see Jesus. You see, maybe, just maybe, you have a neighbor or a coworker or a friend, and they look at your life, and they might say, hey, where did you get those clothes? I'd like to get some. 
And you might say, well, let me tell you, there's no store around here that carries them. But I can show you the one who gave them to me. See, our clothes, our life exposes who we are. So who are you? Who are you? And who do your clothes say you are? Who does your life say you are? There's some of you in this room right now, and you have thought for so long that church attendance or being a good person or those things will save you, and they won't. Some of you have trusted in religion. Religion will not save you. Religion says, obey God and he will love you. But the gospel says, God loves you, therefore obey. Those are completely different things. And if you have looked to religion for so long, and you have been empty and empty, and you don't understand this life that I'm talking about that he offers, you don't have to do anything. Just come and receive it. You don't have to earn it. Just come and receive it. Stop playing games. Stop trying to earn it. Come receive it. If you're in this room and sin has its claws in you, you just can't take that old shirt off. I just want you to know there's hope, but you got to stop fighting alone. It's a fight, but you got to stop fighting alone. I'd love to pray with you about anything this morning, love to share with Jesus, how to follow Jesus with you before our deacons are going to be up here, I'll be up here. Guys, let's sing these songs of thankfulness in our hearts to God and get the gospel deeper in our hearts. And if you need to respond, let me pray for you. Come to this, these steps of prayer. I'd love for you to do that. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much that you are a good God who loves us despite our foolishness, despite the fact that we wear ratty clothes even though we've won the lottery. God, we pray that you help our life to match the life you've given us. We pray that you would help our lives to echo and to reflect the, the identity that you have given us in Christ, that you have given us abundant life. And God, help us to experience the joy of what you've given us. God, that you're not trying to keep us from joy, you're not trying to hold us back from joy, but rather you're trying to lead us into joy. God, help us to become a church that is not walking around uh, uh, with, with frowns on, but a church that is walking around in gleeful joy because the, our Savior has given us life. Help us to be abundantly joyful, celebrate that. Help us to live Live that out. Live the life that you've given us. God, I know there are people in this room right now that if they die right now, are going to bust hell wide open. They know who they are. God, would you overwhelm their hearts in this moment and give them the courage to, to come to you and find grace and find life and find joy. To stop playing games, to stop finding religion, to stop trying to be good enough, but to come find life. God, for the one who is can't take that old shirt off, God, give them community and friendship and help them to take it off forever. In Jesus' name we pray all this will say. Stand together and sing.